Hello, I'm Simba Rose. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. I'll be talking about uh, Net Zero Homes in the podcast, but uh, let's just have a catch up of where we are. And obviously, sadly, this is now, at the time of recording, the first anniversary of Russia's invasion into Ukraine. Now, we all know what that means. Uh, We've seen a real degradation in terms of relations between US, West, NATO, whatever you want to call it, and Russia. And just now, we've got Putin saying that he wants to uh, pull out of nuclear treaties. The human cost of the war will continue, and it's appalling. But there's also, in our world, a big knock-on cost for the energy. And in terms of the energy sector, I think it's clear to say that what this last 12 months has shown is that whatever people have said, we are intrinsically linked to the way that gas and oil is basically makes up the fabric of our economic society and that's a global market and with what's happening in Russia prices for energy will continue to rise and I don't think we're ever going to get back to where we were pre the war. In fact a report this week on futurenetzero.com shows the um, the war is expected to use create growth in the LNG market, liquefied natural gas. Um, That's because people think that the supply of natural gas from other areas will become more and more important with Russia basically, probably, uh, although it is still being paid a ridiculous billion pounds a a day for its energy, um, it'll decrease. Russian gas exports are expected to fall by 40%. And so there'll be much bigger um, new players in terms of production. And there's a report which says that the US could soon become the biggest producer of gas uh, alongside Qatar, and that would go into the LNG markets. Uh, Closer to home, obviously, there's a big uh, repercussion in terms of what's going on with prices for energy. And there's some stories you've probably read about food shortages could happen because greenhouse uh, greenhouse costs are so big that farmers are not able to grow certain crops. So whatever happens, and obviously the most important thing is the human cost, the repercussions of the Ukraine war as it enters its second year will affect us throughout in terms of energy and sustainability. On that point, there are some uh, more positive stories out there. Um, There's some stuff that's been going on which shows that the idea of flying uh, could be something we can do much cleaner. Birmingham Airport has teamed up with Zero Avia to push forward zero emission flights by hopefully before the end of this decade. So this is some test that's going on looking at an aircraft that could fly up to 300 miles. So that could really do a lot for kind of your basic commuting across um, the UK and definitely into sort of France. Um, and then there's technologies being developed all the time. So I feel that zero emissions flights are something that are really definitely on the way. And this work that's being done, again, check out the story. Uh, you'll find that, you know, hydrogen-based fuels could be the key to that. A couple of things if you're in the world of travel, as we're talking about, our passports, online passports, have saved almost 2,000 trees. 
That's true. Uh, the passport application process, last time you went and got a passport, hopefully you probably did it all online like I had to do not that long ago. It used to be going there, filling in a piece of paper. Well, uh, the passport office has said that it's uh, saved more than 1,800 trees. That's 70,000 kilograms of CO2 by moving things online. And we can see more of that, that there'll be, you know, if you start to cut out things like your bills, your bank statements, and hopefully move on to online. I mean, there is an energy cost with online, but um, there's a, a less of a cost than what we're getting at present using paper. A couple of other stories before I head to the podcast that I thought were, were pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> a couple of, well, not a couple of, three guys have decided that they're going to row across the planet. That's right, they're going to row through the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Uh, so if you know, if you've seen any of the kind of documentaries, there's this huge patch of garbage, which is enormous, that uh, sits around and floats around in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and three friends uh, will be making the voyage from California uh, around uh, to Hawaii, uh, raising funds for uh, an ocean cleanup uh, project. So I wish them luck. I think they'll... Uh, start to have to hold their nose when they go through the, the right trench of this garbage patch. But it does hopefully put more attention on what we're doing around trying to clean that up. Plenty more stories on futurenetzero.com and uh, energylivenews.com. So keep uh, tuned with that. But on to this week's podcast, which, as I said at the beginning, is about housing. And uh, you know that if you've been listening regularly, this is something I think is very important. How do we create a sustainable future for our children, grandchildren? Well, it's got to be the houses that they live in. And some of that is going on right now. And I spoke with a gentleman called Ian Pritchett, who is Growth and Innovation Director at a company called GreenCore. They're a building, uh, house building company uh, based in Oxfordshire. But what they're doing is they're building net zero homes today. So everything from the timbers to the embedded carbon to how uh, you can park your EV and, and use heat pumps. And I had a fascinating conversation with him about whether this sort of stuff, which we've seen and we've covered in the podcast, is just kind of like tinkering at the sides, whether this could really be the start of a complete green homes revolution. So have a listen to this. Housing. We've covered it on the podcast before. And it's pretty much the most damn important thing. Without a shelter over our room, uh, over our heads, where would we be? And we've got an obsession in this country with housing, I think, more than other places. <laughs> when I travel around Europe, people are like, well, oh, yeah, I want to live in a flat. I'm quite happy to do that. But we like to live in houses, generally, and we all like to own them. But that's not always the case that, you know, that's the way it's going to be. There are lots of models about how we transform housing. But the biggest issue about housing is how sustainable can it be? Houses use bricks, they use concrete, they use steel, they use insulating materials. And all of these things have a carbon footprint. You may have heard the term embedded carbon. It means the carbon that's being captured in the stuff that you actually use to build something. And with the housing sector, the embedded carbon is, is huge. This is a challenge the government is really having to face because although we need to build more housing because of our housing shortage, we've got to make sure those houses are sustainable. And then the second part of that is, 
Does sustainable mean flimsy? Many people say, well, let's build them out of bamboo or let's build them out of, I know, recycled timbers. But how long will they last? Well, one company that's been looking at all of this and building new housing in as sustainable manner as it can is Green Core Construction, which is basically, from what I can gather, trying to change the way we see the construction of new housing. But what does that mean? Well, let's discuss that with Ian Pritchett, who's co-founder and growth and innovation director at Greencore. Ian, hello. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for joining me. Now, um, so you, let's just start with the, the building world. Uh, what I've said there in the intro is kind of really where we are, aren't we? We, we need to build, but we have a problem because the way we've been building for the last 200 years if you look at where we need to be to get to net zero, we can't build houses the way we used to, can we? No, we certainly can't. And I'm really glad that you you opened up talking about uh, the embedded or embodied carbon in materials, because at the moment, uh, it's, it's pretty unknown. It's not on the radar of most people. It's certainly rarely measured, understood, and, and there are no regulations for reducing it. So... Um, every time we build a new house, um, typically you're looking at 120 tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions from the materials, their manufacture, their transport and assembly. And then we're looking at maybe three to five tonnes of CO2 emissions a year for running that house. And there's lots and lots of regulation around those three to five tonnes in order to get that to zero. Yes. But yes. there's no regulation at the moment about that big, great big elephant in the room, those 120 tonnes that uh, that come from the um, materials, the, the embodied or embedded carbon, as you as you mentioned. So is that is that basically because we're sort of running to catch up in a way? I mean, you could blame government, you could blame the, the building sector. But, you know, if, if I said the word embedded or embodied carbon, even three years ago, I wouldn't have had a clue. Yes, we are running to catch up. And I think it's um, it's one thing at a time. Um, but um, we are now in, in this critical decade where we need to halve our emissions by 2030. And uh, unless we're tackling all aspects of the emissions, we, we risk missing that target by a long way. So as an example, we're based in Oxfordshire, and in Oxfordshire, we've got four district councils and a city council, yep. so, so five local authorities. And there's a combined carbon budget for those five local authorities that comes out of the, the Paris COP agreement of just over 26 million tonnes of CO2. And we're likely to burn through all of that on new housing by the end of the decade. So that budget should be covering industry, transport, agriculture, yes. and all aspects of life. And yet we're, we'll squander it all just on building new houses if we're not careful. So we are running to catch up, but we've got to run fast and we've got to catch up quickly. I'm going to talk about your technologies in, in a moment, but just exploring this a bit further. Uh, you, you've been in this sort of sector for a while, from what I gather, correct? Yes. Yep. So, going back to the beginning of your career, um, 
did anyone even think about this sort of stuff sustainability carbon or whatever or was it just you know build the house as quick as you can or build whatever you're building sometimes let's do some funky designs but it's really about turning it over selling it and, and making a profit yes yes absolutely i think uh you know that's where most people still are um uh, i have to say you know i didn't start my career thinking wow i need to do something about carbon <laughs> no, no none of us did ian <laughs> You know, it it took me a good few years. I've I've been uh, aware of carbon and the carbon emissions problem and trying to do something about it for just over twenty years now. Um, but um, you know, I I did a lot of things in the time leading up to that where I was completely unaware. But once you become aware, yeah. um, you start to think about what you can do and what the impact of what you're doing is, whether that's positive or negative. And, and obviously the more we can do positive things rather than negative things, the better. Um, for, for us, for the, for the lay person listening, uh, for our listeners, just let's just go through some basics, kind of where we get stuff. So um, I guess I can, we can all understand where timber comes from, right? So it comes from wood, from forest, whatever. But things yeah. like, you know, concrete, I, I had no idea of, what, what the sort of what goes into concrete or kind of plasterboard and things like that so if you were going to do a, a basic kind of hey here's where things come from and the carbon you know people can can relate to timber in ours because they can see a tree and then you chop it down yeah. and you make that yeah. but what are all the other bits like the roofing the, the carpet I, I have no idea can you talk me through a few bits and just yes so if we it's guide to if we, in my house if we start with concrete for example so concrete yeah. goes into things like foundations and floor slabs and uh, maybe other uh, precast components in houses concrete is a mixture of cement and uh, and aggregate which is basically sand and gravel yeah um, sand and gravel has to be dug out of the ground but it it doesn't take huge amounts of energy to do that. The yes. the energy and the carbon emissions really come from the production of the cement. And cement is produced by quarrying limestone and uh, and heating it to about uh, 12 to 1500 degrees centigrade. There's a lot and of energy you, used. In you've got a, yes, you've got a bit of a double whammy there because... Uh, you've got a lot of energy to heat it up, which is normally fossil fuels. So there's a lot of emissions that come from that. But when you do heat it up, uh, the limestone is calcium carbonate and it chemically changes and it releases CO2. So you've got CO2 emitted from the change of the limestone and from the energy. And currently cement production is responsible for around 8% of global CO2 emissions. So it's one of our big emitters. Yeah. And there's lots of work going on to say what can we use instead of cement or can we make cement by using hydrogen as a fuel or or are there other clever ways of making cement that that produces a lot of co2 emissions can we capture the co2 from the cement of course yeah production and they're all in their early stages at the moment but um the the first first thing we can do is minimize the amount of cement that we use so so that's great uh, use less of it and some of the ways you can use less are replacing it with other things such as waste products so there's a there's a product called ggbs which is a waste product from the steel making industry 
that you can use to replace 50 to 70% of the cementing concrete uh, without, uh, without adversely affecting its properties. In fact, some properties get better, it gets stronger and more durable, but it's slower to set. Um, so there's a quick win there in replacing some cement with GGBS and then clever solutions for foundations that use less concrete. But ultimately, there are two things that you need to do in, in trying to reduce the carbon footprint of a house. One is use products that emit less CO2 in their production yeah. or transport. So things that are made more locally and using greener fuels or, or more efficient processes. And the other one is to use materials that are natural bio-based materials that absorb carbon as they grow. So things like hemp and timber, they're all absorbing CO2 as they grow. And through photosynthesis, they turn that into cellulose. So timber is a very good way of, first of all, it doesn't emit much carbon in its production, but it's actually absorbed a lot during its growing cycle. So providing every time you cut down a tree, you plant at least one or two more. Yes. Continuing, perpetuating that absorption of CO2 from the atmosphere. And trees take 20 to 30 years to come to maturity. Something like hemp takes 14 weeks to come to maturity. So it's a much faster and more efficient cycle for capturing CO2 from the atmosphere. And if you choose your materials wisely, you can actually lock up more carbon in those bio-based materials than are emitted from the, the concrete, the glass, the steel, the high energy materials. And so you can actually get to a carbon footprint that is better than zero. <laughs> what about bricks? How are bricks made? Bricks are made by uh, digging clay out of the ground and, and then uh, you, you purify it to an extent by getting rid of lumps and nasty things in it. Uh, adding a certain amount of water to get it to the right level of plasticity and then shaping them into bricks and then you fire them in a kiln to uh, about a thousand degrees centigrade it varies according to which kilns and which bricks but again there's a lot of energy goes into yeah, manufacturing bricks although there is a company now in uh, in the south of england who have just launched a hydrogen fired brick and uh, Hydrogen, the big advantage of hydrogen is when, when we burn that to produce heat, it doesn't give carbon dioxide as a as a waste product. It gives water vapour as a waste yes, product. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so so, so the, there are things happening, but I mean, you, you know, you've covered the main bits, which is the concrete, the wood, um, the, the bricks, and then things like glass and steel that are there. We all know about what's going on in those sectors that they're trying. But at present, they've all got a massive footprint as well, haven't they, really? Let's be honest. They have, and they're 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 quite difficult sectors to decarbonize. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't seen anyone grow a, a plant like glass yet, and that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, no, that you'll probably find somebody uh, contacts you after this to say well, we're doing it. But... <laughs> That'd be great. I'd I'm not aware of it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what you've been doing at Greencore. You know, you, you say that you want to create these houses, and I know you you've built some, haven't you already? Um, in, yes. in Oxfordshire, is that right? Yeah, we've built around 60 houses so far and we're planning to build thousands more. Right, let's let's uh, visualise, uh, as this is radio, what's the house look like? Does it look like something out of, you know, 
the the house little house on the prairie or a, it's the swiss cottage or does it look like a house that we'd all go god that's the house <laughs> it it looks pretty much like any other house you wouldn't look at it and say that's different um oh. so it's not like you remember when evs first started and they look like little boxes and people go yeah, i can tell that's an ev you if i walked up to one of your houses there it just looks like a house does it it, it does yes can or, i see brick or, they... or or is it all covered in kind of wood how does how does it look it wouldn't be covered in brick. It would be uh, timber or render yeah. um, predominantly, but uh, in some cases we've used other materials like sheet zinc. But uh, it would look like a, a relatively modern house, like any other house, um, but, uh, but it wouldn't be brick. What about the roof? That's one thing we didn't cover, because that's normally made of slate, which, again, we have to quarry for slate, don't we? Yes, or, or tile, and tiles are made either like bricks out of clay or or out of concrete, and those are high-energy materials. So you've got less choices for what you put on the roof. My own house, for example, has recycled rubber slates on the roof. Um, they look like slates, but they're made out of recycled rubber. That's um, I like that. The, the planners don't always like those. No, they don't. <laughs> um, we try to do as much of our roofs as possible out of PV panels because that's a ah. that's a double benefit. You're minimising the amount of uh, clay or concrete tiles or slate, yeah. but you're also maximising the amount of energy generation that comes from it. Your houses have basically. Is it fair to say they're they're net zero? Well, well, let's let's go through that those things. The, the actual building process, I'm assuming you're going to have some carbon, whatever you do anyway. But the running of the house effectively takes it to sort of car, carbon negative, does it? Because it, it, yes, yeah, so we we have a series of targets that we aim to hit. So the first wow. one is that we aim to reduce the amount of emissions by using low carbon materials. You're talking about in the building, yeah? In the in the construction up front. Right. So can we use uh, a timber beam instead of a steel beam, for example? That would be uh, a good way to reduce the amount of uh, embodied carbon. And then secondly, we aim to lock up more carbon in all of those bio-based materials than we emit across the construction. And our target is to be better than zero and uh, around minus 100 kilograms of CO2 locked up for each square meter of floor area. So it is possible to do that. And uh, we now routinely do that on, on all of our houses. Um, so, so, where, where, so I move into one of your houses, right? I've got solar panels on the roof, yeah? Yes. Uh, what am I, what, how am I getting my heating and hot water? Do I have a gas boiler? Is it heat pumps? Talk, talk us through how yes, so that, family that comes as part of step two, really. So step one, as I say, is to lock up more carbon than we emit. Step two is to reduce the amount of energy that's used by making the houses very efficient, well insulated and, and airtight. And we follow the principles set out in the German passive house methodology. And then step three is to generate that energy through roof-mounted solar panels, PV panels, generating electricity. So our houses generally have direct electric heating and direct electric hot water. Right. Um, 
that is generated as much as possible from the roof-mounted solar panels. And the target is that we would have enough solar panels on the roof to generate as much energy each year as the house is using. But we will be generating a surplus in the summer and uh, we won't be generating enough in the winter. So it's a net zero across the year. Yeah, gotcha. And, uh, have you got important. batteries as well to store all of this then? Some of the houses we've built do have batteries. The, the method that we're moving towards going forward is having larger scale site batteries rather than individual house batteries. Oh, so what you mean, like on, a, on an estate, you'd have one big, huge battery that provides storage for all the houses. Obviously. That's correct, because right. you, you get better economies of scale by yes. aggregating it all. Into yeah, I didn't think of that, actually. And that, that's the other thing. People get annoyed about, the, you know, a lump on your wall and things like that, because there's an element of what we're like and what we're used to. That that's quite that's quite interesting. Um, so we're we're looking at using smart microgrids on developments in the future, where you've got all the available roof space generating electricity, and then that goes into the smart grid. It runs all of the houses, and when there's a surplus, it can be used to heat everybody's hot water uh, an extra couple of degrees or charge everybody's cars. And then if there's still a surplus, it goes into the site battery. And the idea is to really minimise the amount that gets exported back to the national grid because it's less economically viable yeah. if you're exporting it back to the grid. So you want to keep it in your own microgrid on your development as much as possible. This is a fast, fast evolving technology. And five years ago, it wasn't really there and, and viable. Now it is. Um, one thing I want to talk about before I talk about um, kind of the, the durability is you, you talk about hemp. Now, people probably know hemp. Well, you could call it your houses are very, uh, you know, they're geared up, as they say. <laughs> I yes. mean, hemp is a type of cannabis, isn't it? That's what it is, from what I understand, type of uh, a cannabis plant. But yes, it's, of... it's from the same family. Yeah. As, as yeah. Okay, so you're not going to get any fumes when you're building it. Ian. That's no. This is this is um, what's called industrial hemp. So it doesn't right. it, it doesn't have any uh, THC in it. Okay. It's a much taller plant, and yeah. historically, it's been grown for fibre for making ropes and canvas and that sort of thing. We use it for insulation. Um, so you. So this is what I was going to talk about. So the, the hemp is grown, and you've turned it into. People probably, you know, I've had it done in my house. You have the insulation boards that go against brickwork. Is that where you're putting it to sort of line line the the, the inside of the house sort of thing? Well, we, we don't have brickwork, so we're using a timber frame construction. Right. So, so we make timber frame panels, and yep. the hemp is within those panels. Understood. So we use both hemp and wood fibre as insulation within those panels. And then what happens to things like the timber and the hemp that you're using? up? Do you then have a relationship where you plant more of it or, or, or what do you do there? Yes, our our suppliers uh, do all of that. So um, um, they're all responsible suppliers that uh, are continually replanting for everything that they're harvesting. And uh, good responsible suppliers are making sure that uh, the amount of planted trees yes. or hemp is increasing rather than decreasing um 
can you get all this stuff here or does it have to come from abroad uh it it varies so the the hemp that we use does come from this country um but some of the other products we use uh are made abroad at the moment so we need to build the demand in this country to justify UK manufacture. Yeah, but I mean, obviously that would be the goal, wouldn't it? If we're looking forward, that we'd have everything here. So it's, yes. it's a lot less of a footprint for the transport. It, it, it absolutely would be. And, uh, you know, there's no reason why these things can't be made here. It's just creating sufficient demand to justify yeah. Yeah. setting up the, the manufacturing facilities. Um, critics would say, well, hang on, you're sticking all solar panels on. Everyone talks about the plastics that are used in that and the, you know, the hydrocarbon used in that. But I suppose the argument is once you've built them the, the, over the lifespan, they, they, you know, they, they sort of compensate for the carbon used to make them. Yes. I mean, obviously, um, different solar panels made in different places and transported different distances are responsible for greater or, or lesser emissions so we all need to be moving towards solar panels that are are made with renewable energy yeah, yeah. in europe rather than made with fossil fuels in china for example um so uh that's that's something we need to be looking at in more detail as we go forward no but, and look I'm, I'm not criticizing i think that this is all fantastic stuff but you know the reality is we, we have to live in the real world and that's the other side of it which is you know, brings me on to two things that I'd be listening going, this sounds all great, but A, how long is my, you know, zero house going to last? Because, you know, I live in a 30s house. Uh, my friends live in a Victorian house, been up for 250 years. And some people live houses have been a lot longer than that. And the second thing is, how expensive will these houses be? Because you'd think, actually, whoa, the way the housing market is, do I pay premium for having a, a green home. So can you answer those two things? Sort of the durability, longevity of your houses and yes. what do you think they compare on the market? Yeah, so the, the first thing is durability uh, and longevity should be exactly the same as most other houses. Um, we would expect these houses to last for centuries. So people will be really? living in these But even with the timber and all of that and, and kind of you know, you'd think would it be a bit more vulnerable than, than brickwork? Uh, it is a bit more vulnerable, but providing it's kept dry, and, yes. and that's yeah. that's all in the design of the houses to make sure it's, it's kept dry, would last forever. We've still got 13th and 14th century houses that are made out of timber. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, so, so we know very well how timber behaves, how durable it is and what we need to do to, to make it last. Um, and it will last hundreds of years. So there's absolutely no problem with lifespan of these houses. Okay. In terms of cost, yeah. we are a small business um, trying to grow to be a medium size and ultimately a large business. So we haven't got the economies of scale that the big builders have. Course, Therefore, our houses do cost a little bit more to build. Yeah. But... Um, they don't necessarily um, get sold for more money. Houses generally get uh, sold on the basis of size and location and design. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, we are beginning to see signs of people paying a slight premium for um, for some for a house that uses less energy because you, if you're saving a thousand pounds a year in running costs, yes, you're right. Then yeah. then that has a value, um, and we'll see more and more of that going forward. So. 
over the coming years, we expect that we will get more competitive with with the pricing on our houses, but we'll also see the mainstream house builders get more expensive because from 2025, for example, they won't be allowed to put gas boilers in. They'll be fitting yeah, in source heat pumps yeah. and that will cost them more money. So as we get cheaper, they will get more expensive. And at some time over the next few years, we will cross over and I think we will be more competitive than than uh, uh, the more conventional house builders. So it is a bit of a journey. You can't you can't do everything at no. day one, no, um, but you you can have a plan that that shows how you are going to um, tick all of those boxes over a period of time. Why are you doing this? Why? Yeah, yes, good good question. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm. I got into building because I absolutely love building and building things. Um, I started repairing historic buildings and learning about materials and that uh, opened my eyes to the properties of materials and uh, low carbon building materials and eco building. Um, but I'm basically doing it because I feel it needs to be done. We have a climate and ecological crisis at the moment that needs to be solved. And that's what gets me out of bed every day, um, knowing that I'm doing something worthwhile that's moving us a step closer. Every time we build a house, we get a step closer to um, to solving those problems. And uh, it's a it's a mountain to climb. We've got to change the whole industry. But, yeah. um, um, but I mean, I suppose this is the thing, isn't it? You know, before we end, you look at where the housing industry is. You know, if you said, from now on, everything we build, we make as 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 zero carbon or as low carbon as possible. It will make a dent because I know the vast majority of our housing stock. It's very difficult to retrofit, but there are things technologies will come. But do you feel that your outliers are you kind of like seen as hey wacky as wacky hemp growing people over in Oxfordshire, or or are the big boys taking notice of what companies like yours are doing and and you know the innovation? Yeah, we're we're not as wacky as we used to be. I think that's probably <laughs> the, the, the way to put it. So, yeah, you've become less wacky, have you? <laughs> yeah, or or the 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 market and the industry is coming around to our th way of thinking. So our major shareholders are M and G, who are a big investment fund, and they uh, are absolutely committed to the zero carbon agenda. As are a lot of institutional funders these days. Yeah, and they are very wisely using their financial muscle to support businesses like ours that are driving the transition to zero carbon. So we will be building thousands of houses a year within a few years. And uh, at that level, we can really make a serious difference. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, has anyone moved into your houses yet? Oh, yes. Yeah, we've got... Um, as I say, around 60 houses built. Or well, what, what are they saying? Um, most people absolutely love it. Um, the, we, we monitor the performance of our houses um, or, or as many of them as we possibly can. Yeah. And that's an ongoing process. So I think, you know, what we're seeing is even in a low energy house at the moment, energy bills have doubled over the last 12 months. Of course. Um, because of the current energy crisis. So even people in low energy houses are still uh, 
feeling some pain um but they absolutely love the the air quality the the comfort levels um just using less energy having the heating running a uh for a much smaller part of the year than a normal house yeah so, uh, we get i suppose that the, the other thing is that you know that there is this thing you know if you've been lucky enough to go somewhere like maybe skiing or whatever and I, i've done that in the past and you go to those big timber lodges there's something about kind of natural materials that is very i don't know just takes us back i suppose maybe it's in our in our in our system because this is the first homes we ever built yes i mean the the there's a tendency to think that uh man-made is always going to be better than than natural uh amongst certain people but actually it's quite the reverse uh natural materials are are multifunctional they they don't just insulate they buffer humidity moisture um in some cases they they can remove other uh toxins from the air as well and you combine that with things like uh a ventilation system that filters the air and uh and has a heat exchanger in it so that it's recovering any any heat from the exhaust air going out yeah and yeah before you know it you've got an incredibly comfortable house it's airtight it's got no drafts it doesn't get condensation on the inside of the windows you've got no mold issues um, no. and therefore they are much more comfortable and healthy to live in and oh, Ian, if only you were building them in barnet where i live now <laughs> yeah well one day we'll be heading for Barnet, I'm sure. I'll be happy to move into one. Uh, listen, Ian, I think this is brilliant what you've been doing uh, and your company as well and uh, everyone involved because it, it is a big issue for us to find a way of doing things in a cleaner manner and but not losing, this is the other thing, but not losing the, the, the comfort. My, my very last question to you, there is an element that is, happens with EVs and I get criticised for it, but... I definitely think they're for rich people right now. Um, the equity in housing is difficult enough. I appreciate what you're saying about, obviously, right now, that there's a bit of a premium with these. But is your hope that, you know, that people, you know, we want to make sure that this transition is equitable so that people who are on the lower incomes can afford to live in these kind of homes in the future? Yes. I mean, certainly out of the 60 that we've built, 15 of those were affordable houses that we did with housing associations. And Brilliant. pretty well everything we're building over the next 12 to 24 months is all affordable housing. And um, in many ways, it's easier to build affordable housing in this way than it is um, open market housing because yeah. housing associations and uh, institutions that retain the ownership of these houses are looking at whole life value not just construction value yeah and, yeah. and so um so you're, you're confident that people you know this will be accessible to to to, to all of us eventually absolutely yeah. and and it will be accessible to people living in affordable housing probably faster and earlier than it is for people living in uh, ordinary open market housing Ian Pritchett, thanks so much for everything today. It's been great to talk to you and uh, I wish, uh, you know, what you're doing at Green Corps, the best of luck. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my thanks to Ian there. Now, before I go, the Big Zero show, June the 20th. Get your tickets now. So if you haven't seen it, check it out on the Big Zero show 
website, bigzeroshow.com, or go via our Future Net Zero portal. We'd love you to be there. If you're interested in Net Zero, doesn't matter if you haven't even got a clue what it's about. If you've got an idea that you want to do some good, come along to the show. We'll have exhibitions, we'll have talks, we'll have great speakers, we'll have case studies, we'll have technologies that can help your business, however small or large, and if you work for a local authority, to try and do something that gets us more towards where we all want to be. So register for your free ticket now, uh, get onto the site, and if you'd like to be involved, uh, if you'd like to be a sponsor or exhibit there, then get in touch. Uh, my thanks to Chris for putting this uh, podcast together. Please keep subscribing. Catch you next week. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business better planet.